WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me. Good morning. It is Thursday, August 31st. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Mix of sun and clouds today. Just a beauty on the way. High 78. Tonight, overnight, clear, low 61. And then Friday, another nice one. Sunshine, high 78. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 68 and clear in Brookhaven out on Long Island, 63 and partly cloudy down in Dumont in New Jersey. And it is 65 and clear here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up. Six o'clock hour, Sid and friends in the morning. Some 70,000 fans last night. MetLife Stadium. Bruce is back in town. Three shows. The interesting thing apart of, about Springsteen's latest uh, shows of concerts and what he's doing in the Meadowlands is that there's actually some tickets available, which has never really happened for Bruce Springsteen. Usually you can't get your hands on one, but um, there are some available. But uh, as you might guess, uh, the fans going crazy as Bruce took the stage last night for the first of three shows. One was last night, one's Friday night, and one's Sunday night. Great to be in New Jersey. Now, I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited about it myself. I have tickets for Friday night, but I'm working Saturday morning, so I'm not sure if I'm going to give away my tickets. I might do that, but fans last night, they're not giving away theirs. I've been a Bruce fan since the 70s. I love his old stuff the most. Back in 99, he played 15 sold-out shows here, and I went to 10 of them. I love the patriotism. USA, and I just love listening to Bruce. So Springsteen tickets went up to $5,000 for some of the arena shows earlier in the tour due to the dynamic pricing system, which sets the cost based on demand. But for something about this MetLife, which you would think would be the hardest one to get because he's a Jersey guy, they've been a little bit easier to get. So fans are excited about that. Born to Run is my favorite Bruce song. Jersey Girl, my favorite. Born to Run. Um, Jungle Land, another favorite. Now, uh, ticket prices, again, this is a little shocking. Uh, you can get a $60 upper-level ticket, as of last night anyway. Um, $355 was the general admission at one point, but uh, I guess the demand isn't where, what it once was. When we had these three, we decided... Oh, gonna- so a lot of the people who showed up uh, last night at the show, and I imagine you'll see this on Friday and Sunday night as well for Springsteen, brought their kids... And uh, they've, uh, you know, introduced their kids to Springsteen over the years, and they wanted them to see Bruce live. When we had these three, we decided we're going to make them Bruce fans. We're going to play his music. We're going to make them know about Bruce. I feel like it's all we listen to. We go to the, the Jersey Shore every summer. Yeah, I don't think I could get my kids to go. <laughs> they make me turn off whenever I put it on anything on the radio. Uh, so what should I do with those tickets? Maybe I'll just give them away to a listener. Well, let me think about that. Between seeing them in clubs and seeing them in stadiums, probably 50 or so. I grew up on Bruce Springsteen. My dad literally taught me from a young age, and he actually just recently passed, so we're here to celebrate him today. I'm excited to take my daughter because I, I love that she loves my the music that I love. 
and we have a good time. Yeah, so again, Springsteen Friday night, Sunday night. Some tickets available. A lot of great tailgating going on last night. All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. The cleanup from Hurricane Idalia underway. An off-duty NYPD cop found himself in the fight of his life. Rutgers is still making sure students have their COVID vaccine. Rent is really too damn high in the Big Apple. And uh, as we just said, Bruce is back in New Jersey. All right, let's get into it. 504, we'll start with what is now Tropical Storm Idalia barreling through the Carolinas on its way out to the Atlantic Ocean after leaving a trail of flooding, devastation throughout the southeast. National Hurricane Center Deputy Director Jamie Rome says it's still kind of serious out there. Just because it doesn't have the designation of a hurricane, um, these flooding rains are often one of the deadliest components of a hurricane, and people really take it for granted just because it doesn't have that title anymore. Idalia was moving across southeastern Georgia and the Carolinas overnight. The system made landfall in Florida's Big Bend area yesterday morning. Maximum sustained winds of 125 miles per hour. It briefly reached Category 4 hurricane status and flooded streets at closed airports caused water widespread power outages, but the good news is this wasn't as bad as they initially thought it was going to be. The bottom line is not a good night to be driving about here in eastern half of South Carolina and soon, soon in the next couple hours, as it moves into southeastern North Carolina. And one of my former hometown of Charleston, South Carolina, uh, the streets downtown there were flooded. But again, not a lot of uh, casualties. That's the good news. Here's North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper. We do have tropical storm warnings all up and down the coast. We're concerned about the potential for storm surge. And always uh, we want to keep an eye out on flash flooding and potentially riverine flooding. We don't know about that yet. This storm is moving faster than people had anticipated. So homeowners on the coast, those are the people who really got hammered over the last 24 hours, hearing from people who lost their homes, people who've lost their businesses. The owner of a charter boat company near where Hurricane Idalia made landfall says uh, she has to cancel her Labor Day weekend bookings even though the storm has passed. There's a lot of debris out in the water right now. It's a it's a boating hazard. So if you are out in the water, I mean, we literally have picnic tables floating out there. We have um, propane tanks. Kind of what it looked like here after Sandy and the day after. Crystal Pesek says Labor Day weekend is normally one of the busiest weekends in the year in the Florida Gulf Coast town she's in. It's called Steinhachi. She says floodwaters reached well over six feet there. And she says uh, it's too turbulent and will be all weekend to do any fishing or scalloping. So she says she'll lose what is a major weekend for her. Now, how's this going to affect our weather? And uh, how are the authorities responding? to this latest hurricane. We're going to get into that in just a moment. WABC News Time 509. The cleanup will get really underway today in Florida's Big Bend area. Now that the worst of Idalia has passed, it passed by really the early afternoon there. Scott Larson, he lives in uh, Cedar Key, and he saw the bar that he's owned for years flooded out on TV. He was sitting at home watching his bar go down on the tobe. It's just what happens, and it's part of living down here on the water. It just could have been worse. You know, they set up 16 feet. We would have been 
you know, it would have been a complete loss. So that didn't happen, so we're happy. It's just now a lot of work, but we'll come back. And what Larson says is great is his community has always come together in times of need, and he said that will happen here. We'll, we'll come back is what it is. We have, a great, um, we have a great island here, great community here, great mayor. Hurricane Specialist Brian Norcross explains the storm surge and what it did. We don't really know how much neighborhood damage there was. Because remember, storm surge is salt water. You put salt water into neighborhoods, you destroy cars, you destroy electricity, electrical systems and stuff like that. Again, they'll have a better idea of it this morning as uh, search teams go out and they look around to see what's been done. If you go to Charleston at high tide, you'll see that that seawall that was built 100 years ago. You don't have much room to play with there. Yeah, and water breached that seawall in Charleston, South Carolina. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis assessing the aftermath of Idalia in his state. We have not seen the type of loss of life like we did at Hurricane Ian in the coastal areas. They did experience significant storm surge, and so uh, we're cautiously optimistic that, that we're going to end up okay on that. The governor praising Floridians for listening to his evacuation orders. He noted that officials were ready for the storm, pointing to the deployment of the National Guard and that resources were in place to quickly restore power. While some outages remain, more than 350,000 who had lost their power when Idalia hit have already gotten back, which is pretty fast. We were ready for this, so we had a search and rescue team staged, National Guard. We had over 30,000 uh, linemen to restore power. And so as soon as the storm passed, our first responders were on the scene checking on people. And the Red Cross on the scene as well. Here's spokesman Jonathan McNamara. So that's making sure we have the physical resources, the volunteers, and the materials to be able to establish emergency shelters, serve meals, provide disaster mental health care support, and be there for communities that will need us not only over the days to come, but the weeks and months to come as they start a recovery process. Going into neighborhoods to serve hot meals, to deliver relief supplies and cleanup kits, doing disaster mental health and other health services that are going to be critical for people who could potentially lose their homes or be impacted by this storm. And the hurricane actually hit it home for Governor Ron DeSantis, taking out an old oak tree at the governor's mansion in Tallahassee. First Lady uh, Casey DeSantis and the governor's three kids were actually at home when the tree fell. They were not hurt. She posted a picture on social media and her husband told reporters he believes it fell sort of to the side of the house. I don't know that it fell on like the residence per se. I think it was a little bit off to the side. Governor DeSantis says he doesn't know whether the tree can be saved, but he actually says his kids will be excited that that tree is no longer there. I don't know if they're going to have to cut down the whole tree. Uh, if they do cut down the whole tree, that's just going to be more room for uh, my kids to hit baseballs in. And yeah. All right. And then, of course, FEMA on the ground as well, deploying resources to help those uh, hit hard by the hurricane. While it is still too soon to assess the total damages, we know that the storm made landfall as a Category 3, which means over 120 mile per hour winds and up to 10 inches of rain in some areas. That's FEMA Administrator Dion Criswell called it the strongest hurricane to hit Florida's Big Bend area in more than 100 years. More than 1,500 federal personnel are on the ground. They had staged a lot of these folks up in Columbia, South Carolina, so they could easily drive in, and that's what they've been doing. Uh, there's 500 search and rescue workers on the ground as well. It's not clear how many of those people they'll really need. FEMA and the entire Biden-Harris administration, we were prepared and we were ready to support the needs of this storm. As I mentioned, we have um, actually over 1,500 federal responders that are on the ground in the affected area.
So Dahlia was a hurricane when it made landfall Wednesday in that remote area of Florida. It shredded some homes, uh, definitely submerged a lot of streets. It weakened to a tropical storm, but still was packing 60-mile-per-hour winds as it raced into Georgia, then into South Carolina. In Charleston, a surge from Dahlia toppled that seawall that protects the downtown area, sending ankle-deep ocean water into, you know, those kind of, I guess, the best way to describe it, wealthy, famous neighborhoods. There's no immediate word on the full extent of the damage and injuries, but authorities say at least one person died in Georgia Georgia, when a tree fell on top of them. Of course, as more details come in, because the storm still hasn't completely gone out to sea, we'll follow this and, of course, pass those details on to you. And all that storm activity in the Atlantic Ocean has made for a couple rough days for beachgoers across the tri-state. Governor Hochul urging officials on Long Island to suspend swimming at Long Island beaches yesterday because of flooding and rough surf conditions from Hurricane Franklin, a different hurricane. Meanwhile, along the Jersey Shore, swimmers were told to be cautious because of dangerous rip currents, and that's the kind of stuff that surfers like this guy love. They make the waves like a lot better. You know, they're, they're really nice today. You know, drop in, smack the lip. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> but not for swimmers. No, not oh. for swimmers. Jesse Levine is the chief lifeguard at Avon by the Sea down the Jersey Shore. We keep them away from it. We watch the way the water's moving so they don't get actually brought into it. One of the kind of classic things is that people over there, the rip current's over here, but you know, the sweep puts them right into it, and then you have... Well, five, six people, that's not what you want. Yeah, so the thought is the water will be rough for one more day today, but things will be nice and calm for the Labor Day weekend. In Atlantic City, though, lifeguards were telling swimmers to stay close to shore. That'll probably be the case again today. They didn't allow us because the rip rip current's happening right now because of yesterday. I don't like it, but I know it's for the safety. Yeah, it's too rough for me. Too rough. Yeah, I love it when it's rough. Today is expected again to mellow out as the day wears on, and it's supposed to be great for the Labor Day weekend, so that's what we like to hear. All right, 515, let's head over to the 77WABC Sports Desk. Good morning, Justin Ellis. Good morning, Noam Lady. Nice to know you like it when it's rough. <laughs> I heard laughter from the other room. I knew that's probably what it was about. It was all Justin. was not me. <laughs> all right, just put the blame on me. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. Anyway, in, we were all thinking it. In Detroit, the Yankees. <laughs> I know someone else who likes it. <laughs> Yanks once again took care of the Tigers, Noam, this time by a score of 6-2 to two in the third of four. Last night to secure their first... Series win in their last 10 tries after scoring in each of the first three innings. The Yanks are off and running with an early lead. The likes of Gleyber Torres and Giancarlo Stanton, they weren't about to stop the momentum, blasting back-to-back shots in the fourth frame to help New York pull away. 1-0 on Torres. He's walked, scored a run, had a stolen base. He drives that in the air to right field. Green back at the wall, and Gleyber Torres has done it again. This time, Torres goes oppo, his 23rd home run of the season, and his third home run in three games. Now Stanton jolts one to right center and deep. Meadows has no chance. Gone. A laser out to right center off the bat of John Carlos Stanton, and Torres and Stanton go back to back. Stanton's 20th home run of the season.
Those calls, courtesy of the Yes Network, with three straight wins under their belt. The Yanks now sit ten games back at Texas for the final American League wildcard spot. This afternoon, the Bombers will try and knock the Tigers off again in the finale to finish off the sweep. First pitch set for 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. Clark Schmidt tapped for the start against Detroit's Matt Manning out in Queens. The Mets were able to salvage the series finale at home against the Texas Rangers, winning 6-5 to five in walk-off fashion. D.J. Stewart was a star in this one, homering twice before forcing in the winning run with the ultra-rare walk-off hit-by-pitch against Flynn Flora-Araldis Chapman in the 10th inning. The win puts a cherry on top of another series loss for New York, who now sit eight and a half games back of San Francisco for the final National League wildcard spot. They'll stay at home, where they'll welcome in the Seattle Mariners next starting tomorrow night. And staying in Queens, Tennis's U.S. Open continues today after round two of the men's and women's tournaments opened up yesterday. Both slates for the continuance of round two get underway later on this morning at 11 a.m. No men college football to look forward to tonight as well. We got one ranked team in action, the Utah Utes. So welcome in the Florida Gators, Utah. Minus four and a half point favorites in that one. No. Sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Ellick. WABC News Time 520. Let's go down to Washington, D.C. President Biden says there's no denying the climate crisis any longer as his administration deals with a bunch of natural disasters. I don't think anybody can deny the impact of the climate crisis anymore. Just look around. Historic floods. I mean, historic floods. More intense droughts. Extreme heat, significant wildfires. Biden meeting with his cabinet yesterday and agency officials to discuss the federal response to Hurricane Idalia. Uh, Biden says federal teams on the ground helping people impacted by the hurricane to get safety. And the federal government will be there, he says, for whatever the states needs. He also announced $95 million from the bipartisan infrastructure law will be used to harden Hawaii's electric grid after the wildfires there. White House advisor Peter Navarro, I should say ex-White House advisor Peter Navarro, will not be able to claim executive privilege as a defense in his contempt of Congress trial. Navarro is set to go on trial in the case next week for refusing to comply with a subpoena issued by the congressional committee that investigated the attack on the Capitol. A federal judge ruled Wednesday Navarro failed to prove former President Trump invoked executive privilege that prevented him from testifying before the committee. Jury selection in the case is scheduled to begin Tuesday. I'm Brian Shook. Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell appears to have had another one of those freeze moments where he just suddenly stopped speaking at a press event. This latest episode happened yesterday morning in Covington, Kentucky, where an aide had to step in before he was eventually led away. Here's what it sounded like. Did you hear the question, Senator, running for re-election in 2026? All right, I'm sorry, you all, we're going to need a minute. Yeah, a little frightening to watch. A similar freeze moment happened in July during a weekly Republican leadership news conference. President Biden again weighing in on this like he did last time. He says he'll reach out to Mitch McConnell to make sure that he's okay. Mitch is a friend, as you know, not a joke. We always I know people don't believe that the case, but we have disagreements politically. But he's a good friend. And so I'm going to try to get in touch with him uh, later this afternoon. I don't know enough to know. There are concerns of the 80. One-year-old Republican's health after he suddenly stopped speaking during that press event in Kentucky. McConnell again had that similar moment in July. That was in the U.S. Capitol. 522, the cost of using an ATM is going up again. Much like health insurance, if you go outside the network and make an ATM withdrawal, it's going to cost you more. Do people still use ATMs? I can't remember the last time I went to one, right? Use your card for everything unless you need cash, I guess. Bank rate chief financial analyst. 
Greg McBride says ATM fees can cost as much as $6 because the bank assesses a fee. So does the owner of the ATM machine. Bank rate has been surveying financial institutions for 25 years, and the current bank-only surcharge has risen to $3.15. That's a lot uh, to take money out from an ATM, apparently, that is not yours. But again, most people kind of use right their Apple Pay, their card, whatever. You're also going to pay the ATM owner. Put those two together. The average is nearly five dollars, but you could easily pay five or six dollars if you're not careful. Yeah, again, uh, though, I point to the fact that uh, we use cash for so little anymore, right? A New York judge is keeping a cannabis license injunction in place and ruling no exemptions as a lawsuit continues. Yeah, nobody dancing right now, at least in terms of getting a new license. The lawsuit brought by four military veterans, they applied for licenses to sell marijuana in New York. The lawsuit claims the Office of Cannabis Management is giving preferential treatment to people with drug convictions over disabled vets and other groups. Judge Kevin Bryant hasn't ruled on that yet, but in the meantime, he is allowing 23 new pot shops to open in New York. But he is ordering the OCM to demonstrate why each of the 30 proposed cannabis stores listed for exemptions should be granted one. James Flippin for 77 WABC News. American Airlines flight attendants threatening now to walk off the job. The Association of Professional Flight Attendants has voted overwhelmingly in favor of a work stoppage and plans to demonstrate at 12 airports. The union says members have been asking the airline for better pay and improvements to staff onboarding for years. While the union is in favor of striking, members will remain at work until the strike is approved by the National Mediation Board. I'm Lisa Taylor. Wall Street closed with stocks higher for the fourth straight session. It's despite the release of a couple economic reports that came in below expectations. ADP reports private employers added 177,000 jobs in August. That's well below July's numbers and below industry expectations. At the closing bell yesterday, the Dow gained 37 points. S&P 500 rose 17 points. NASDAQ went up 75 Allstate was one of the biggest day, uh, biggest gainers of the day, rising by more than 3%. Meantime, HP was one of the session's biggest losers, shedding more the, than 1%. And a pig kidney still functioning in a brain-dead man six weeks after transplant surgery. New York University Langone Health says this is the longest period a pig kidney has functioned in a human being. Surgeons transplanted the genetically engineered organ after the 57-year-old man's family agreed to donate his body because his organs weren't suitable for transplant. The NYU Langone Transplant Institute director said the kidney is doing all the jobs that a normal human kidney would do. I'm Brian Shaw. Crazy story, right? 526 subway riders came together Tuesday night to help a woman who had been shoved onto the subway tracks in Tribeca. We told you about this story yesterday. But now we're hearing from the people who were there and the woman who was shoved onto the track. This woman was pushed about 11 p.m. at the Chamber Street station. Bystanders rushed to pull the 34-year-old woman uh, off the tracks before a train approached. Waiting on the train and someone came up to her and just pushed her onto the tracks. Yeah, so uh, they have good pictures of this creep. Uh, the woman has a broken leg, bruises across her body. She can barely maneuver into the basement apartment she shares with her husband. They're both 
recent immigrants who arrived from China just three months ago. Cops say this man came up from behind and pushed her onto the track as she waited for a number two train. Uh, here's how she describes the scene through a translator. I was waiting on the subway platform. There was one guy on my back pushed me off of the track. I've seen article about this before, but I never think something like this will happen on me. Yes, yeah, so she was wondering out loud yesterday. She said, I was the only Asian person. Was it because I was Asian? Because she'd heard about other attacks before she got here against Asian New Yorkers. Fortunately, no train entering the station at the time, allowing that group of strangers to lift her back onto the platform. The 34-year-old was taken to New York Presbyterian Hospital with that leg injury. Again, the creep who pushed her, he got away. Um, but bystanders got a good look at him, and police have now released surveillance video of this person. And when you watch the video, and you can at WABCRadio.com, you'll be like, yeah, that would be a guy who would push somebody onto the tracks. We've been following this horrendous story all morning, now getting more details. A nighttime fire ripped through a rundown five-story building in Johannesburg, South Africa. The building apparently occupied by homeless people and squatters. And the death toll now, 73, they expect it to go higher. Some of these people living in a maze of shacks and other makeshift structures inside this building apparently were throwing themselves out of windows to escape the fire. And a local government official saying that seven of the victims are children, the youngest a one-year-old. Of course, we'll keep on top of the story. It's a fire again that ripped through a building in Johannesburg. The death toll now at least 73. All right, we got a lot more to get to as we make our way up to the 6 o'clock hour and sit in friends in the morning. Before we head out, we'll tell you about an off-duty NYPD cop who found himself in the fight of his life. Rutgers is still making sure students have their COVID shot. The rent we find out really is too damn high in the Big Apple. And Bruce back in New Jersey. Those stories and more after this. The 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden on 77 WABC. There's perspective. You just got to keep an open mind. And then there's New York perspective. Are you as offended as I am? Make deals with just anybody. Talk Radio 77 WABC. More people jumpstart their morning listening to number one rated sit in friends in the morning. Weekdays at 6. Brian Kilmeade at 10. 1201. Curtis Lewa. 1. Greg Kelly. 3. Rudy Giuliani. 4. Rose Nerdly's Rush Hour. 5. Cats and Cosby. Mark Levin at 6. Bill O'Reilly at 9. Rita Cosby at 10. Dominic Carter at midnight. Then the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is 77 WA. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 532. Good morning. It is Thursday, August 31st. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sun clouds today. Just a beautiful day on the way. High 78. Tonight, overnight clear low 61 and then friday we'll do it all over again sunshine high 78 if you're walking out the door with us right now 68 and clear in brookhaven out on long island 63 and partly cloudy in dumont down in new jersey 
and it is 65 and clear here in Midtown. We'll start this half hour out in Queens where an off-duty NYPD cop found himself in the battle for his life yesterday on a Queens street middle of the afternoon. Police say it all unfolded when the 26-year-old officer who was not on duty at the time tried to bypass a white minivan blocking Queens Boulevard a service on the service road there. He apparently exchanged words with the minivan driver, whose name is Edwin Rivera, and was eventually able to get by. But the two vehicles met up again. Police say that's when Edwin's brother, Sean, ran over and smashed the rear window of the off-duty officer's Kia Soul. The off-duty officer drew his service weapon, called 911 as he held the two men at gunpoint next to his car. Officials say the officer identified himself as a cop and told the passenger he was under arrest, but the passenger resisted. The male in the white vehicle had words with our MOS again, and a second male who was on foot ran up behind off-duty MOS's vehicle and smashed his window. At one point, he puts his phone down. He grabs the male who broke his uh, car window. He's holding the mail. He's announcing his authority that he's a police officer and that the mail's under arrest. And that's when the fight broke out. Both brothers attempted to grab the off-duty officer's service weapon as all three fell to the ground. By the way, there is video of this. Police say the service weapon discharged twice. Cell phone video shows the moments when the shots were fired. They're trying to unholster his weapon and take the weapon from him. Our officer grabs his weapon. He's trying to retain the weapon. All three of the males go down on the ground. That's you hear that bullet shot, that fire shot go off. The officer struck in the left thigh. One of the brothers was shot in the hand. The other brother has injuries to his hand, which are believed to be from when he broke the glass window of the off-duty cop's car. Neighbors who have seen the video and some of them who saw this thing unfold are calling it unnecessarily aggressive on the part of the two brothers. They say one in particular was really fighting back even after the officer identified himself as an off-duty officer. They attacked the police. For me, they overreact. Yelling at people, you undercover cop this and that. I'm like, buddy, that's not the trouble you want to get into. And within seconds, every cop in Queens was here. Where are you safe? If you are in your house, if you're in front of your house, and suddenly things, those things happen. The officer taken to Elmhurst Hospital said to be stable, both brothers in custody pending charges. The off-duty officer has been on the force since 2018. He's assigned to the 81st Precinct, that's in Brooklyn. Detectives try and figure out who ended up gaining control of the weapon, but the cell phone video will be very helpful evidence, so they are searching through that probably as we speak. 536... A man inside a Manhattan subway station lighting newspapers on fire before chucking the flaming objects at riders. Another fun reason to take the subway. Video shows the chaos unfold inside the East 33rd Street station on Park Avenue. A witness says the man was near the turnstile arguing with high school students on the platform when he started torching these newspapers and throwing them at people. Uh, well, here's he describes what it was like. I was just thinking that it's going to blow onto the platform and then it's going to cause everybody a delay, I mean, or worse. I had this big water bottle with me that I kind of had on a, actually has a crossbody strap, and I opened up the lid and 
threw water on it, um, stomped on it with some of the students that were not on the train. That's Stephen Carlston, who was putting out the fire himself, which is pretty great. Uh, he knew first responders were not close by, so that's when he took out his phone and captured this man on video. The guy looks to be like he has a cigar in his mouth. It's, it's kind of hard to tell, but uh, he's setting these newspapers on fire, throwing them at uh, anybody nearby him. As soon as he saw me come up with the camera, he threw the newspaper at me, and the entryway was smoky, and so I, and you know when you start a campfire with a newspaper and you see the little ashes in the air, I started seeing those, and I was like, we gotta get out of here. I just wanted the kids to get on the train, and I wanted to get out and call 911. There is real good video, thanks to Stephen Carlston, who took the shots with his cell phone, and also the cameras in the subway station. The man has not been identified. Police have not caught up with him. WABC News Time 539, New York City now releasing a contingency plan in the event of a school bus driver strike affecting some 80,000 students. Kids go back to school next week. Schools Chancellor David Banks says no one wants to see a strike the beginning of the year, but he says these plans are in place. We've been trying to send out the notices to our parents to let them begin to at least... The process of getting ready. Banks says all impacted families would be eligible to receive emergency metro cards while they're also working to establish a reimbursement system for families who must resort to taxi, ride shares or other personal vehicles. The uh, transit union that represents about half of the bus drivers and the attendants who serve city public schools say they could walk off the job and that would impact 4,400 routes all across the five boroughs. Meanwhile, with New York City public schools starting up next week, officials say nearly 19,000 students living in temporary housing have entered the school system since July of 2022. Then you have the migrants kids that have come over the last year. So they're trying to figure this all out, sort it all out on the exact number, but they just don't really know how many people are going to show up first day of school. In line with our commitment as a sanctuary city, we have steadfastly refrained from asking for any immigration status or country of origin when enrolling our students. So the school system says there are plenty of open seats for new students since the city lost tens of thousands of families during the pandemic. Schools are receiving additional funding based on the number of students in temporary housing. They do have a right to attend their zone school. That being said, many of these zone schools are reaching capacity, and so we work closely with superintendents and principals to identify neighboring schools that have seats and available resources. Chancellor David Banks says the migrant crisis is taking a financial toll on the Department of Education, though. And if we're going to meet their needs, um, those require uh, extra dollars. We have worked really hard to get those dollars to the schools. Um, and and I think we've done a, a very good job of doing that. Yeah, the, the issue is the students who be coming in, they have very specific needs, though, some of them being uh, English as a second language, but other things as well that they say will cost the DOE. That going on, as the New York City Labor Union is a bunch of them, and elected officials are going to join migrants today for a rally in Foley Square. Well, we will uplift the voices of people seeking asylum and their deep desire to be able to work and once again call on our federal partners to unlock a faster pathway to give people the opportunity to work. That's Deputy Mayor Ann Williams-Isom, who says more than 59,000 migrants remain 
in New York City scare. Another 2,900 have arrived in New York City just in the last week. So if you think it's stopping, it's not. The numbers uh, continue to be pretty high, 2,900 in one week. Uh, William Isom says New York City is doing its best it can to support these people coming in, but they need help from the federal government desperately. At this rate, we have an average of more than 10,000 people per month entering our system. I know that doesn't make sense to anybody. That is just not sustainable. Even if we get people out in the shelter, even if we do get kids into school, if we do resettlement, it seems like we're almost like hamsters on a wheel if we don't do something about the front door. Governor Hochul had hat in hand as she headed down to Washington, D.C. yesterday for a meeting with the White House chief of staff to discuss the migrant crisis, asking the Biden administration for financial relief and expedite those work permits. But the White House is yet to grant any of those requests. Somebody has to take ownership of this and stop just passing the buck around. In the end, somebody has to be responsible. The Democrats have created all these problems to start with. Yeah, people in New York. Meantime, Mayor Adams wants to send migrants to other parts of the state, but Governor Hochul has said she can't force other counties to accept them. The two have been clashing on the issue over the last couple weeks, with Mayor Adams recently calling Hochul's take on migrants wrong. Uh, New Yorkers, well, they don't know, there are sort of mixed reviews on how the mayor and the governor is handling this and whether we should continue to accept migrants. Taking over the whole marketplace, job market, as far as construction. You know, they're in the plumbing, they're in electrical now. First it was landscaping and stuff like that, but then they took off into everything. They hire them because they're cheaper labor. And Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, who was on with Sid on Sid and Friends in the morning yesterday, says she's also frustrated that Staten Island has been subjected to Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul's migrant policy, saying most of her constituents oppose emergency housing for migrants in neighborhoods. Instead, she suggested the city look into alternatives such as Roosevelt Island, Rikers Island, or even bring in a ship of some ship from the federal government to house sort of like we did during the pandemic to house some of these migrants she says it's one of the reasons that she still has people coming up to her on staten island saying hey let's secede from uh, new york city and she says she knows that lots of people laugh at her when she makes this a su- suggestion that Staten Island no longer be part of New York City. But she points to this migrant issue as one of the reasons she thinks maybe that should happen. And she's begging state lawmakers to sign off on a plan to let them secede if they decide to do so. I mean, I hear all the jokes all the time that they would love to get rid of Staten Island. Well, this is your opportunity. I think Staten Island would like to have an opportunity to self-govern. Um, and quite frankly, with the amount of money we're seeing from property taxes and others, I think we would have the opportunity to do that. It should be reevaluated. And, and I- she says she has a plan to make this happen. So uh, we've heard this talk before. Uh, the state government would have to sign off on it. There's almost no chance that would happen. But she's asking them to reconsider. 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk where we find Justin Ellick. Thank you, Noam Oledo. Start here in Detroit. The Yankees once again took care of the Tigers, this time by a score of 6-2 in third of four last night to secure their first series win in their last ten tries. After scoring in each of the first three innings, the Yanks were off and running with an early lead. The likes of Gleyber Torres and Giancarlo Stanton weren't about to stop the momentum, blasting back-to-back shots in the fourth frame to help New York pull away. Want to know on Torres... Walked, scored a run, had a stolen base. He drives that in the air to right field. Green back at the wall, and Glaber Torres has done it again. This time, Torres goes oppo. 
his 23rd home run of the season and his third home run in three games now Stanton jolts one to right center and deep Meadows has no chance gone a laser out to right center off the bat of John Carlos Stanton and Torres and Stanton go back to back Stanton's 20th home run of the season those calls courtesy of the Yes Network with three straight wins under their belt. The Yankees now sit 10 games back of Texas for the final American League wildcard spot. This afternoon, the Bombers will try and knock the Tigers off again in the finale to finish off the sweep. First pitch set for 1.10 p.m. Eastern time. Clark Schmidt is tabbed for the start against Detroit's Matt Manning out in Queens. The Mets were able to salvage the series finale at home against the Texas Rangers, winning 6-5 to in walk-off fashion. DJ Stewart was the star in this one, homering twice before forcing in the winning run with the ultra-rare walk-off hit-by-pitch against flamethrower Rollis Chapman in the 10th inning. The win puts a cherry on top of another series loss for New York, nested eight and a half games back of San Fran for the final NL wildcard spot. They'll stay at home. We'll welcome in the Seattle Mariners next, starting tomorrow night. And staying in Queens, Tennis's U.S. Open continues today. After round two of the men's and women's tournaments opened up yesterday, both slates for the continuance of round two get underway later on this morning at 11 a.m. And you got uh, college football tonight to look forward to as well. Nome Aladen, one ranked team in action. That's number 14, Utah. They'll welcome in the Florida Gators, the Utes. They're four and a half point What is a Ute, one. anyway? I don't know. Oh. God. It's these kind of questions at this hour, no. I'm that, curious, I mean, you know, just if they're called the Utes, I want to know why. Is it because it's Utah, maybe? My, yeah. I, if, <laughs> if what I is their mascot? The, Do you know? Can you look it up? Uh, what is their mascot? I think it's like a cowboy. Oh. You know. Is that what a Ute is? It's or cowboy? like it's like a rancher, I think. <laughs> oh. I don't know. God, what is this? A pop quiz? It is, yeah. <laughs> I'll let you. I guess, I guess I can let you. What do you got, Lewis? Do you look it up? Uh, known as the Utes in honor of the American Indian tribe for which the okay. state of Utah is named. Okay, oh, so, so it you weren't even close. I, no, of course not. <laughs> yeah. what? I never claimed to be anywhere close. <laughs> I've seen many Utes walking along the street. <laughs> Those Utes get in trouble all the time. Uh, yeah. Utes, yeah. <laughs> problem. They're smoking. And, yeah. <laughs> there you go. No, that's sports. I'm Justin Ellick. All right, let's catch you up on the big stories of the morning. Was it Maureen McGovern who said it has to be a morning after? Well, that's the case for people who had to deal with Tropical Storm Idalia barreling through the Carolinas overnight on its way to the out to the Atlantic Ocean after leaving a trail of flooding and devastation throughout the southeast. National Hurricane Center Deputy Director Jamie Rome says... The storm is still kind of serious, even though it's just a tropical storm now. Just because it doesn't have the designation of a hurricane, um, these flooding rains are often one of the deadliest components of a hurricane, and people really take it for granted just because it doesn't have that title anymore. Idalia was moving across southeastern Georgia and the Carolinas overnight. The system made landfall in Florida's Big Bend area yesterday morning. Maximum sustained winds of 125 miles per hour. It briefly reached Category 4 hurricane status and has flooded streets. It closed airports, caused widespread power outages. Storm surge warnings were up across North Carolina. The bottom line is not a good night to be driving about here in eastern half of South Carolina. And soon, soon in the next couple of hours, as it moves into southeastern North Carolina. We do have tropical storm warnings all up and down the coast. We're concerned about the potential for storm surge.
Yeah, and we're seeing some of the destruction now. The owner of a charter boat company near where the Hurricane Idalia made landfall says she'll have to cancel her Labor Day weekend bookings, even though the storm has passed. There's a lot of debris out in the water right now. It's a, very, it's a boating hazard. So if you are out in the water, I mean, we literally have picnic tables floating out there. We have... Uh, propane tanks. Crystal Pesic says Labor Day weekend is normally one of her busiest weekends of the year and for a lot of tourist companies in the Florida Gulf Coast, but she says uh, she'll have to cancel all those bookings because it's not a time to do fishing or scalloping. The uh, cleanup beginning in Cedar Key, which was also a town that was hit hard. Scott Larson owns a bar there. He has for years and he said he watched it on TV as it was flooded out. It's just what happens and it's part of living down here on the water. It just could have been worse. You know, they set up 16 feet. We would have been you know, it would have been a complete loss. So that didn't happen. So we're happy. It's just now a lot of work, but we'll come back. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis assessing the aftermath. We have not seen the type of loss of life like we did at Hurricane Ian in the coastal areas. They did experience significant storm surge. And so uh, we're cautiously optimistic that that we're going to end up okay on that. Idalia ended up taking out an old oak tree at Governor DeSantis's mansion in Tallahassee. It's the governor's mansion. First Lady Casey DeSantis and the governor's three kids were at home when it fell. Thankfully, nobody hurt, sort of hit the side of the mansion. I don't know if they're going to have to cut down the whole tree. Uh, If they do cut down the whole tree, that's just going to be more room for uh, my kids to hit baseballs in and. Yeah, so and he said the kids won't be too unhappy to hear that that tree is gone. Let's bring it back home. There is a new coronavirus variant detected in New York City's wastewater. And it comes as COVID cases and hospitalizations have been on the rise in New York State this summer. The good news is... It hasn't gotten people sicker. Uh, the hospitalization numbers aren't crazy, which is good. But New Yorkers, you know, they say they are paying attention. I'm not worried, no. There's always been viruses and things around. It has changed my habits a lot. Now I'm being careful with what I do, the kind of people like hang around. The city's health commissioner says the new variant likely circulating among New Yorkers may be more likely to evade immunity that has been developed from the vaccination or prior infection. However, the health commissioner says there's no indication the new variant causes more severe illness. So we like to hear that. And down at Rutgers University, speaking of COVID, they're keeping their COVID vaccine mandate for this school year, which is drawing some criticism from state lawmakers and a couple of students. Only the primary vaccines are required for students and staff. Boosters are not mandated unless someone works in a clinical setting. Freshmen and families were on College Avenue in New Brunswick yesterday bringing their kids to class, and they were talking about this vaccine mandate. Personally, I'll follow the rules, whatever is going to happen. I think that we should focus more on our health. Due to... The amount of debt and everything, it's just for protection. I just think it's good that they require it because it makes it a lot easier. It makes it so you don't get as sick. Yeah, not a lot of pushback. Data from the university shows that all but 17 students have complied with the vaccine requirement. Uh, Republican state senators, some of them are calling for university leaders to resign, though, over the mandate. It wasn't going to stop you from contracting COVID. It may have stopped you from getting a serious case of it or ending up in the hospital. But it wouldn't stop you from contracting it. 
and wouldn't stop you from giving it to someone else. A Rutgers spokesperson says the university is continuing to work with those 17 students who have not yet complied. Let's bring it back here into this city. We've always known how expensive it is to rent an apartment in the big city or even to buy one for that matter. Renting a one-bedroom apartment in New York City is far more expensive than any other city in the nation. This according to a study by Zumper. The median cost of a one-bedroom apartment in New York City is just under $4,000 at 3990 bucks a month. for That's a one-bedroom. The rent is just too high. You really got to have high income. I am really shocked at the price of rent around now these days, but you got to live. It's the greatest city in the world, so there's just always stuff to do. That's the price that we have to pay for it, or we don't have to. But yes, so you hear all this talk about people are leaving and fleeing New York City, but uh, then you see the prices of apartments, the highest in the nation, tells you that people really still want to live here. Meanwhile, the median price of a two-bedroom unit is roughly $4,500. The next highest rentals, you have to just cross the river into Jersey City, where they're paying $3,280 for a one-bedroom. San Francisco rounds out the top three uh, with a $3,000 price tag for a one-bedroom. Yeah, we're lucky to have our spot, because $2,650, when we tell people that they're usually like oh that's pretty good like we're in a nice area and it's a pretty decent size one bedroom so yeah it's good we joke like i have two kids living here now and it's very hard for them to afford it so my daughter was lucky to find a rent stabilized place she probably wouldn't have been able to live in manhattan yes so uh people continue to look they want to find the deal and some people do you know how i look at it like if you go to another spot the amount of rent that you paying in New York, you could buy a house or mobile home somewhere no, right. for the amount of rent that you pay and own it. Here you just steady paying rent, paying rent, paying rent, and you never own it. Yeah, you're paying someone else's mortgage. And finally, uh, crews were out with traps yesterday in New Jersey trying to capture this elusive alligator that's been roaming a Middlesex park for, well, it's about a week now. An alligator can run 35 miles per hour on ground and 20 miles per hour in the water. People don't understand how dangerous it is. Middlesex Mayor John Madden says that's why he shut down Victor Crowell Park. As for the search, the town's tried drones and boaters armed with nets, but the three to four foot alligator has been very cagey since a police officer tried to shoot it. The critter, believed to be someone's illegal pet, first spotted in the park last Friday. It's estimated to be three to four feet uh, in length, which is not a baby that you would want to hold in your arms. Yeah, so of course alligator's not native to New Jersey. You can only speculate that it was uh, probably somebody's pet. Yeah, they probably brought it up from Florida, got too big, and then they dumped it in the pond. But meanwhile, they haven't been able to find it.